welcome to the Tortoise Shack Sunday Special. As always, we have a great line of up of guests. Guests, I am enjoy- I am joined by. Do you want to do that again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Please. joined. By- Stop. Do that again. I'm not putting that out. <laughs> okay. Serious face. Hello and welcome to the Tortoise Shack. As always, we have a great lineup of guests with us today. We have Alva Cronin. We have Shamin Malek Miam. We have Emma D'Souza. And we have Margin of Error, Harry Mackins. <laughs> sorry, Harry Mack. Harry Sonia. Let's <laughs> just get this. So he, gave me the, he just gave me the giggles when we start. Okay, serious face. So, first of all, we're going to come to Shamim. Shamim, children are disappearing out of direct provision. Children. That the nobody's, asylum system. And the asylum system. And nobody seems to concerned about it. Nobody seems to be looking for them. You have thoughts on this. Would you let us know what you think? Yeah, so um, I don't know if you guys know, but this issue is kept happening when before the creation of Tesla, when the HAC was in charge of taking care of unaccompanied migrant children. So the issue was kind of raised that the children were going missing. But... It was kind of not known that in recent years, it was laid to rest, so nobody knew that was the case, so nobody thought this was happening. This also, I was going through um, queries uh, at the EU Commission, and I noticed that a country has I had asked about data on missing children in recent years, and I noticed that um, Ireland's answer was... Um, they created the data, they provided the data until 2019. So I went to Tesla and asked for them for 2020, 2021. And I noticed since 2017, 54 migrant children seeking asylum has gone missing. Um, and only 18 of them were found. And I, when I was going to the database, Angarishukana, it's a global database, but Angarishukana has access to it. I noticed there was a large discrepancy between the number that Tesla has and what uh, the guards put on there. Um, and when I asked them about it, they, they, they wouldn't kind of give me a straightforward answer. They were saying that there are other ways to find these children besides putting their photos and information on, on the database. So and what was interesting that I, I was telling Tony about it, it was interesting that when I went to them for the year 2019, they didn't even have one child listed as missing. But um, it took them two weeks to come back to me. And then when they came back to me, they were like, we have five kids for the year 2019. And they had uploaded randomly five kids for that year. And um, because I hadn't screenshotted it, I couldn't prove it. So I didn't mention it in my article. You know? Shame, Shameem, though, I mean, this is like, think about this. What you've just said is scandalous. It's absolutely yeah. scandalous. And, you know, again, Dublin Enquirer lads doing great work, supported by you know by uh, subscribe. Do 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 that bit, please. But also, you know, we need this. We need stories like this to to actually get more um, more public notice. I mean, we're talking about children mi- going missing through our through our own system, our own and and there does seem to be. We have to ask the question: Why there's so li- little concern? I mean, what like what what? What sort of um, why why is there so little concern and why is there so little done as you in your opinion for why this isn't actually taken as a much more serious issue? I think um, one reason could be that they basically don't have anybody when they come here. They come here alone on their own. They don't have anybody. And although the Child Care Act says that they should have access to legal guardians, they don't. Everything is up to the social workers. And basically, there are social workers who have already have so much to do. And these people are the only people who have to follow up with the guardie to find these people. So um, basically, they, they have nobody. And when the Department of Children and Equality says social workers are doing the same thing that legal guardians do. But um, when they have legal guardians, obviously, they have more uh, an independent voice who can um, kind of advocate for them, you know. Going to pause the podcast for a quick um, plug. We are live um, on November 10th in Dublin Sugar Club. We're going back live, um, all fingers crossed. Uh, and we are going to bring the podcast from across the platform. You'll see all the familiar faces, uh, including myself, Rory, uh, and the gang. And it will be a fun, informative, and I guarantee you, 
some laughs as well. So uh, it's it's tickets are up right now on Eventbrite. So if you go to Eventbrite and check check for Tortoise Shack, or you just click the link on the bottom of this podcast. Um, alternatively, if you are a patron supporter, um, go through that channel and it will simplify the process for you. Um, it is, as I said, available on Eventbrite. Grab the tickets now. Uh, support this independent platform. And we hope to see lots of you there on November 10th um, in what is one of the best venues for podcasts in the country. Talk to you all very soon. And just on, on that, because we have I know we've spoken to um, to to people from the Migrant Rights Council, from uh, NASC and from all other organizations. And it's quite difficult then to family re- reunification in Ireland is a difficult topic. It's a difficult thing to get done. You know, you've you've got the right to re- reunify with families, but you're talking about minors, essentially, who haven't been able to, you know, for whatever reason, um, avail of a family reunification and slipping through the net. And do we have any idea what actually, I hate to ask the question, but because I probably don't know, want to know the answer, but what actually happens to these children? Do we know where they go? Did, are they still in the state or what, what happens? So uh, I'm, I have this kind of, we have this ambitious project of trying to find these children uh, ourselves. So um, it's, it's one of our long-term projects to kind of work in this. But as you might know, uh, we are really weak in uh, tackling the human trafficking crime. So there are fears that they, these kids might have been trafficked out of the country as well, unfortunately. You know? and, and when you say weak, I think we've, we've had our first ever successful um, prosecution for human trafficking um, last year, and that was the first one we've ever done in Ireland. Despite having the, you know, the a, a reputation in in the there's an international um, league table in human trafficking, and Ireland doesn't feature very well, guys. It's we're we're doing well in the league table, and the league table you don't want to be doing well in, and yet we've only got one successful prosecution. So yeah, we don't do a good job of prosecuting it either, Shamim. So, I mean, what the project of trying to find them. Uh, is something that obviously it's admirable, but we need to be doing more as a society and as as a state to 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 make sure that this doesn't actually happen first and foremost. And I think I just think it's outrageous that you told me about this story, explained it to me, and I'm wondering like where is the outrage? Where is the where is the actual public outcry? And why and why is this some, something that's on? Um, lads, if anybody else has any uh, comments, could, could I just come in there, Tony? Does that mean that all the statistics in relation to this are just? not trustworthy you you can't rely on the statistics in terms of um the discrepancy uh, yes yes y- yes and uh in 2009 there a report came out like an internal report in angara that they were telling each other that we need to kind of have a reason why we're profiling some missing people and why we're not profiling some of them and almost a decade after there's still no explanation whatsoever why are we it's just that our, our figures, the figures we would have would be used mm-hmm. internationally and they would be used as comparators internationally. But if they're not um, reliable figures, then we have no reasonable comparators for how Ireland's doing internationally. But in, in terms of the database, absolutely, the database doesn't reflect. And the problem is when you go on the database, you see that most kids are kids of color, but you don't know which one of them were unaccompanied children as you know, it's just very, very unclear at the moment. Yeah, I think that's interesting, and it's also one of the one of the issues we have to address, and, and how we how you know, I, I go back to I think it was John Amici was on the podcast a couple of years ago now, and speaks brilliantly about issues of race, and and it was particularly around the times of you know um, I can't breathe and these 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 protests in the U, in in the US, and he spoke about um, the fact that. Uh, I think and I have the quote, and it was body. It would take bo- piles of bodies and bodies and bodies of of uh, people of color would wouldn't get the same outrage of one white child going missing for a few hours in Utah. Was how he put how he phrased it. So we do have to face up to that reality, whether whether it's uncomfortable or not. We have to ask that question of ourselves: Does do do certain lives matter less because of skin color? Um. Martin, I think we do need to move on. Um, yeah, that's it. I'm going to come to author Alva Cronin. And uh, Alva, you've written a new book. I have. I've written my first book. Yes, yeah, called well The Bridge done, of Now. Though. Thank you. Sorry, so what's much. the name again? The Bridge of Now. That's great. So I, it's, it I is, just it's... wrote it because I wasn't allowed work, Martin. So I was locked down and locked up and locked in. So I decided to write 
and I ended up writing a book, so it was great. Better than cooking banana bread. Yes, Absolutely. So yes, how's the book's been received, Elva? Um, yeah, it's been received very well. My publisher is in the States. So um, I did a course with a publishing company who then kind of, you know, obviously you kind of stay with them. And but they concentrate on kind of women's voices. But my book is a is a novel just about about a family, about three generations of a family. But it looks at a couple of looks at a couple of things. I managed to get the pandemic and a few things in there um, to just hopefully make people think. So, yeah, it's going well. But. Uh, you know, I have to self-market and that's uh, a very uncomfortable that's, that's, place. That's the task. I prefer to be nice and quietly here doing my work. Now, but, yeah. now I'm going to come to you on a political question. We have Lord yeah. Putnam resigned in the UK and, and basically he resigned because he thinks the British government and the British House of Lords haven't a bloody clue about Ireland or the Irish. Do you agree with him, Alva? Well, I actually do agree with him. I'm married to an Englishman who I had to completely educate when I met him. And uh, he educate or radicalize. Well, <laughs> well, he does. He, he, uh, well, I won't talk about anybody else's voting habits, but uh, he um, no, no, he, he would tell you quite honestly and all of his friends would that they're not taught anything about their history in Ireland, about Irish history or about what. The North is about what the troubles were about, what you know, they just aren't told anything about their history or why we might have a conflict, you know, as, as a result of, of our history with them. And I mean, I think that you know, Ireland that we have personally, the Irish, whether in, we're in the 26 counties or the six counties, that we have a hangover from from the whole colonialism and everything not just the troubles yeah you know, i would I, i'd agree emma i suppose you'd agree there yeah, too that there's a there's yeah a actually level. on the point about history you know so you know i was right here in terms of how history is taught in the uk it's completely blanketed over it's whitewashed it doesn't actually accurately depict um the history of the united kingdom but also here in the island of Ireland, there's disparity in terms of how we're taught our history. So you know, in the north, there was a, a survey done by Parallel Histories that showed that actually there's a disparity in terms of how history is taught in Catholic schools and state-run Protestant schools, almost down Troubles lines. You know, So Catholic schools are being taught the period of the Troubles, whereas the Protestant schools are being taught uh, you know, more like 1921 to 1949. So you see here a disparity in that regard too. And then even when it comes to education on the whole island, there's not a joined up approach in the South either in terms of how they teach the Good Friday Agreement, how they teach Northern Ireland. I mean, the whole thing is just not accurate. And you wonder why people don't understand each other today. Tony, Tony, they, they tried to, or they have dropped history from the, Oh no 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 no! They didn't. They didn't successfully. They tried to remove it from the as as a make make it optional, and that was a quite a. It was one of these, you know, you have to opt into history, and uh, there was a pushback against it. But nonetheless, it was a, it was a staggering thing for the state to try and do. I I thought personally, as someone who's you know, lo- thinks cherishes it as as something that we need to learn from all the time. But I also think you know you see. We're all, a lot of talk about commemorations, and it'd be interesting to get both Emma and and Alva's thoughts on this. Like we see, you know, obviously Michael D made his decision. Simon Coveney is is going, and I don't want to relive relive that. I'm, that's all done. But you, then you see an announcement of a reenactment of the B specials, <laughs> and, and it's you know the B specials, Emma, weren't exactly um, you know it's it's not a ska band, folks. <laughs> they weren't, you know, it, it doesn't. Yeah, no, I was in my granny's house actually when that was on the news last night, and you don't want to hear what she had to say about it. I miss this. I miss this. The B special. Somebody's doing a reenactment of the B specials. There was a plan to do as part of the commemoration process, and and actually we'll be going back to Garrett Mulvena, who who's written brilliant books on the Tartan gangs and the Loyalist gangs, to talk about this in a wider context. But I mean, uh, like it has to be seen as some form of incitement, Emma. I'm sorry, but it just does. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of um, incitement really happening right now around Northern Ireland, and yeah. a lot of. Um, 
I suppose, an inability to respect the different narratives that exist in the North and different views, you know, and we see that really being trudged up around what happened with Michael D. Higgins and um, the service that's happening in Armagh this month. And it really just highlights the fact that as a people, we haven't really reconciled with their past and there still is an inability to respect each other's own narratives and views and beliefs and, and all that stuff. So it actually really... Um, has been quite a difficult time in terms of uh, unpicking some of that. And it's not even just in Northern Ireland. Again, I'll just highlight that it's also a North-South thing as well yep. in terms yeah. of reconciling with the past and the narratives that exist today. Yeah, and, and we have to stop as well, like David Frost, you know, during the week as well, talking about like the North is constantly being used uh, to the detriment of normal bread and butter politics you know it's still you know he's so he's playing to his own maybe people to his own you know maybe he has found that he might have something uh on you know the sovereignty of the european courts of justice so he's got just going to kind of sound serious and blustery about that and appeal to his you know but he didn't get a great reception in the house of lords either you know he didn't get away i away. think there's a, there's certainly an element that they're distracting yeah. by using what, what's happening up north that, that from the domestic issues such as huge empty shelves Tony. Can, can, can yeah. I go back can I back to Emma on this because it's funny we keep saying what's happening up north and we keep we have to, Emma we have this conversation every time we talk it's not really happening in the scale that you'd almost hear the reporting you would think you know like it's it's a minority of people in a minority of a, a a minority of people in a minority community almost at this stage you know it's it's a fra- it's a fraction of a fraction but it plays well with you know with with lazy narratives that this is you know it's it's this number of people and they're going to hold all this to uh, the rest of a, sh- a vision for a shared island is going to be held to ransom because of you know a, a small minority and I just can't see that working. Can you? No, um, and you know there's a lot of things at play here. Uh, you know there is a negative media bias when it comes to Northern Ireland, so there is a, a it's a reductive lazy stereotype to fall back to these concepts of it being you know us versus them unionists versus nationalists and this depiction of northern ireland is a place that really is still uh you know at odds with itself and that's not reflective as i've said so many times on the show not reflective of northern ireland today in any shape or form and i just want to you know, touch on what alva was saying around the sovereignty issue you know what's happening really with this um next chapter of the brexit playbook is as Martin was also saying, it demonstrates like the Northern Ireland Protocol and what we see here where we're being protected from many of the food shortages and the crisis that are affecting other parts of the UK really highlights and demonstrates the Northern Ireland Protocol can be successful and that Brexit is not successful. And that's why there's this pushback against um, the Northern Ireland Protocol from uh, the British government because it highlights their own failures. So there's that at, at it as well. And then when it comes to Northern Ireland itself, we see this constant depiction of unionism as if it's a majority, when in reality, unionism lost its majority in 2017 in Stormont, lost its majority in 2019 in Westminster. And the unionist parties themselves, you know, you can't really say that they're reflecting all of the unionist people, because like all ideologies, there is a variety of views and beliefs within that. And there will be those who support the protocol, those who vote against Brexit, there's just a, a whole diverse view within Northern Ireland. All these diverse views are not being reflected by this really reductive pushback against the Northern Ireland Protocol. What really is at play is the next election. And that's what's really, this. it's all about the election. So the unionist parties are all vying to try and hold on to some semblance of power because there is an expectation that they will continue to lose seats. So it's really just a lot of political theatrics, electioneering, and the media just blows it up as if it is a uh, reflective of the majority of Northern Ireland. And on on polls, I mean, we're not innocent down here from, from as you've said, it it's also happens down here. We buy into different narratives that aren't necessarily reflective of Northern Ireland. But Harry, I come to you on the polls. The, the Sinn Féin are doing very well in the polls. And how does do you think that bodes for Northern Ireland? Well, it's, 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 it's an interesting one. It's difficult to say, and I think it depends who you ask, right? If you're looking at the sort of the media narratives aspect, firstly, because I think you know when Emma was speaking about reductive <coughs> narratives, uh, one of the things I've noticed, particularly from the Irish Times, is um, there is now that they're also 
doing that conflation of unionism as the DUP, and we've seen it with the whole thing with Michael D. Higgins and so on. There's a tendency in the Irish media to make that conflation because they're more scared of Sinn Féin, or many of them are, than they are of any of the unionist parties and seem to really want to impress the DUP, despite the fact that the DUP don't think very much of them. But in terms of what it means for Sinn Féin, I, I don't know how much it links in with the North, the way Sinn Féin operate at the moment, where you have such, firstly, the system in the North is going to, even if Sinn Féin end up with the first minister at some point, which looks like it's quite likely to happen, um, the way the system operates puts quite a substantial check on whatever the largest party in that in the in the instalment is. Um, whereas down here, it's going to be it's going to be different, but there will still probably be part of a coalition. So what you'll see is I think you'll probably see some attempts at like nominal cross border things, but the way both of those. Um, balances will work are going to be quite restrictive. It's also worth noting that Sinn Féin are kind of, while they are doing still doing well down here, it's not as if they've kind of been moving up substantially in the last few months. They're creeping ahead of Fine Gael and they are continuing to expand the gap over Fine Gael, but that's because Fine Gael's vote is declining. Um, Sinn Féin have been bouncing around, you know, the sort of low 30s uh, for a very, very long time at this point. And it feels like there's kind of a, they've hit a plateau in their vote. And I think that's why you're seeing things now from them, like, um, you know, Pierce Doherty's statements about corporation taxes, that they're like, well, we've got as many people on board from a certain political viewpoint as we do. If we're going to form a government where we're the largest partner, if we want to aspire to a majority government, we have to appeal to the middle classes. We have to appeal to people who would have a different political viewpoint to a large part of what is seen as their base, although Sinn Féin do have quite a diverse base in different parts of the country. But they're trying to move into that more, um, you know, we're not going to, we're going to change things, but we're not going to change things too much because we don't want to really upset anyone space. And I think that's interesting to see whether or not that kind of pays dividends. I don't think it will because I think it's tough for them to pull away a lot of those people because there's so much, um, like, I personally think a lot of the baggage stuff is, is, you know, overstated in the way the, the media goes about it. But to a lot of people, it does matter. Um, and to a lot of uh, people, they will be inclined to, you know, re re they'll read certain things, they'll read the Irish Times, the Independent, and they'll sort of go with that. Other people will think about it themselves and still reach a conclusion that they're not comfortable with it. And other people will reach a conclusion based on different things. They'll look at the economic policies and say, well, or the housing and say, well, I think that puts me at risk more because I'm in a comfortable situation right now. So it's very tough for Sinn Féin to pull those people over. But I think that's kind of what you've been seeing over the last while, kind of making that pitch and changing things. Um, I don't think it's having an impact because if you look at it again, what's happening is it's not that Sinn Féin are Getting finding themselves in a stronger and stronger position. They're already in a pretty strong position. They've been ahead for a very, very long time. But if they're trying to move to the next level, um, what you're seeing right now is you're seeing Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael kind of swapping support. That's that's right, Harry. And and, and uh, Fianna Fáil are in the ascendancy. Just right now, they're in the ascendancy. Uh, it's there, thereabouts. It's, yeah, it's, but it's, we've it's, sort of seen that coming for but, a while. But, yeah, no, but, but like, I mean, let's, let's face it. Like, Fine Gael have... People are tired of them anyway. They 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 suffer. No, if even if you want to just go and be really baseline on this, it's ten years of a Fine Gael government. So you know they they can't offer the change narrative, and change is always starts with something. But the other thing, other point I'd make on on uh, on Harry's on Harry's broader point is there's two, one interesting thing uh, if you if you recall when you when you refer to say corporation taxes and this, it was something that pissed me off as 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 people are probably aware that across all parties and none. Um, they were all sort of saying, "Well, you know, this new global global corporation minimum tax rate is a, is a is is a risk to Ireland. We need to do this, that, and the other, and and fight our corner." Um, no one was actually walking the line of being a, a proper um, looking beyond the green green jersey, which I thought was a, was which was kind of really poor. And I, it was it was it was laid bare yesterday, where you know the whole world lost their mind because the Irish Times published Noam Chomsky saying that you know Ireland is a tax haven, um, and I was really annoyed that everybody was listening to this and no one cared when it was um, people of colour telling them this for for her the last number of weeks, and no one cared when it was people from the developing world. And and again, as someone who's read a lot of Chomsky and is a big fan of his, I'm not not I'm not knocking them. I just said he's not a tax expert, you know. But it, but they didn't want to speak to a tax expert because he was from Costa Rica and. Uh, he didn't. He didn't like Ireland as a tax haven. So I just find that sort of stuff reductive. And I find one positive thing for Sinn Fein, Harry, and you might counter me on this is um, the REITs have only gone down twice in the last four years in share in share price. Once when after the last election, when Sinn Fein won the popular vote, the um, likes of Iris REIT and Hibernian, all their share prices all went down the next day. Uh, and then the, they went down recently because the housing issue was kicking off and Sinn Féin's poll numbers were growing 
and they worry about the, their guaranteed returns. So there is an element with that that might actually be a problem for Sinn Féin as a perception in business, or it might be a strength with the voters. I think this. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, I think it's Sinn Féin see that as a risk, and I think that's why you're seeing some of that moderation around the economic language that they're using, is because it's a really. If you know, you know, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael can come out and say every time Sinn Féin's. Um, you know, Sinn Féin's vote goes up, the value of everything you own goes down, the value of your house goes down when Sinn Féin get more votes, the value of the stock market goes down, the economy suffers, and they're not even in government yet. Like, that's a very powerful thing. So I think that's, I think you're dead right that that's thing that's driving um, the way Sinn Féin are behaving. However, I will say on the flip side to that, you also do have a point in that some voters will look at that and go, cool, <laughs> I hate rights, I, like, I would, but... Um, I'd, li- I'd, li- I'd like, be, like, 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 maybe you're a young person. You'd like to pay less rent, yes? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but I think there's a, there's a key thing there, which is that other people are going to just not care. And I think there's a really interesting thing, and I'll sort of close off on this about the that some polling was done on the around the budget as well by Ireland Thinks, right? And um, ninety six percent of people said that the cost of living was either making their lives very or somewhat more challenging. So there's ninety six percent. There's a huge opportunity there with the budget to um, make a huge impact. There's like the vast majority of this country, even people who are in a relatively good situation, feel like they're paying too much to live. And, and to be honest with you, they are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Things are too expensive. Housing is too expensive. Even if you've got a mortgage, it's too expensive. Rent is too expensive. Basic goods you need. If you're running a car, fuel is too expensive. 96% of people think stuff is too expensive. That's a huge opportunity for a political party that's about to do a budget and that is crowing and saying, we're giving away a giveaway budget, trying to set the narrative of they're being so generous. And that completely failed because then the subsequent, subsequent asking... Um, 16% of people thought the budget made a positive difference to their lives, 28% said it was negative, and 56% said it made no difference whatsoever. And that's really telling. And that's where there is an opportunity that as much as you can point to, you know, scaremonger about Sinn Féin, people feel like whatever the government is doing, the vast majority of people feel like the government is doing absolutely nothing to help them economically at the moment. And that leaves an open door that there's only so much you can push on the narratives of, well, it's scary, they might make things worse. At a certain point, and I think this reflects in Finnegale's falling poll numbers, is people are saying, well, you're not making things any better. And until they're able to do that, they can get up and crawl. They want about how the budget is progressive and how they're uh, you know, giving away stuff and they're giving everyone so much money. I need to come in on that straight away because I, I don't know if anybody listened to our podcast with Ronan Lyons this week, but Ronan nearly nearly fell off his... Well, actually, Ronan has a standing desk, doesn't he? Um, so, he does have so, a so, desk. He, so he took a step backwards on the Zoom call when 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 he... Because he, he they were very much framed in that of the budget as you know a little bit for everybody they spread it across it's it's a sensible budget and blah 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 but the simple fact is we've heard for 10 years that Ireland has to like everybody else in the EU has to play within the fiscal rules the fiscal compact um, and what we have to do based on the taxes the 14 billion gap that we said we we could we 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 expected to have to borrow and funding gap that we'd have and what, what that we didn't use a gap of 14 billion we left two and a half billion in spending on the likes of, say, climate action or housing or healthcare on the table, and we didn't use it. Um, up to twenty twenty five, we're leaving six billion a year just based on the projections because we're obsessed with getting a balanced budget. So, whatever way, actually, I'd love to see if anybody could tell me has one media outlet pointed this out that Ireland is an outlier in the EU. No, I think I think you're dead right, Tony. There hasn't been much media. Um coverage of this and it really needs to happen we need to understand the economic situation we're in i've said it that when we were talking to Rowan, i said basically that was an austerity budget if you take into consideration well, it, was unnecess- it was unnecessarily um under ambitious when you leave, if yeah. you leave two and a half billion in spending on the table that you could have had within the fiscal rules that we were told for a decade we have to comply with you know we have to do this we have to we, we the eu says we have to do this so we have to do it which is it now guys why if, if we if, if we had the money there and we didn't spend it and there are people this year having to choose between turning uh lighting the fire or, or filling the car or whatever it is there's this is this is where that that, that yeah, comes opportunities, home to roost. yeah yeah um, I'm, I'm just going to say with that poll harry we there wasn't it wasn't a a really a mention of covid in that poll but we are now heading into an area where covid is rampant again it's it's on the rise do you think that's going to factor in against the government Potentially. Um, and I think if you look at uh, the previous month's polling, um, where they did a polling on kind of just a, a variety of issues to see what people prioritised, um, COVID was the number one 
thing ahead of everything, ahead of housing, ahead of health. COVID was the single biggest thing identified. Now, you could probably argue there were some issues with how they broke that down, how they labeled various things, but it's still a huge issue. And it is probably something that's having a direct impact on the vast, vast majority of people. It's The government's put itself in a bit of a difficult situation because it's done such a big thing about how great it's gone. And the two fair the vaccination program after a very wobbly start has been one of the most successful um, in the world. But our actual management of it has been like, we can't wait to get out. We keep getting ahead of ourselves and seeing these new waves and these backslides. And it is ultimately going to have an impact. We saw it have an impact around following Christmas um, after the Christmas lockdown uh, en- ended. Uh, and when then we all had to go back into lockdown and a load of people got sick and, and people died uh, as a result of, of the government's decision to reopen, unfortunately. There's no, there's no two ways about that. We did see that have an impact on their support levels. Um, but stuff like that is going to is going to depend on what happens it's very speculative i don't want to speculate i think it's you know i think it's always kind of harsh to, to trade off the potential lost lives against I, what that can, might look can like I go to Shamim for, but, harry can i go to shamim for a second because i want to yep. ask because one thing about this i mean you've pointed to it all the time is that as you're the immigration reporter for dublin inquirer that this has had huge impact in, in delaying things like you know visa applications and um, processing of, the, of things um it must be frustrating. I know the people you talk to, to, to find that, you know, again, we're facing these things and they're still, you, you were pointing out that they're still selling appointments for, to get your GNIB renew, uh, renewed. Like it's shocking. Yeah, this is still happening, unfortunately. And uh, people are so desperate because once you come here, um, you, you're on a, like a three months temporary visa and you need to kind of register your status with the, um, INIS office so you'd be able to have like a proper residency card and um, unfortunately because these I don't know what to call them but because it's um, appointment sellers or whatever you want to call them they kind of have bots that run the website 24 7 and they overload the website and they 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 steal them immediately every appointment becomes available and the appointment that become available are they're not enough but they instantly steal them and sell them for 40 quid. Isn't that ridi- it, but isn't that just completely ridiculous? It is just completely ridiculous. Uh, Emma, can I ask you, because the, the, the infection numbers in the UK are just beyond belief, is there any sense that it has any impact on politics up north? I don't know if I would say it has an impact on politics up north. I think politics up north is completely drowned out around the Northern Ireland Protocol and Brexit. And I mean, Northern Ireland does not have a good record in terms of uh, vaccine uptake in comparison to the Republic. And I think that uh, we're going to potentially see more restrictions come forward here in winter if we don't see an increase in how people are handling the pandemic. So there is definitely a concern, but it's on the back burner. You know, we could we could very well be facing an election here uh, in the next six weeks if Jeffrey Donaldson fulfills his threat to collapse Stormont. So the, the actual real life issues in terms of the pandemic, in terms of other stuff around the health crisis and housing lists, and yeah. it's all completely, you know, ignored, uh, as well as a lot of the legislation that needs to go through in this term in terms of the stocking legislation, in terms of green policies, all this stuff is just not being addressed because of um, identity politics. Just on, on things not going to be addressed, I'm going to come to you on this one, Alva. It, you and I know you You have a, a long-standing personal interest in Angarda Shiakana. You've had family members in Angarda Shiakana. The yes. scandals, particularly the 999 scandal, um, everything that's going on in, in the Gardaí at the moment. Yeah. What, what's your thoughts on this? I mean, the rest of us well, are, are kind of shocked. Well, we were at a family christening yesterday evening. My mother, who obviously was married to a guard and all her friends were guards, etc. She, she actually said that they're just shocked that she just can't believe like and that the, the you know her generation of people can't believe how the Gorda Shikana have been hollowed out but an awful lot of the professions like have been hollowed out in Ireland over the last kind of 20 or 30 years and the scandals in the Gorda Shikana are an absolute shame because they do have and they do manage to maintain a good relationship with with the public the Gordi on the street and everything but and I, you know, I just don't um, buy either that this kind of clean up that what it's bringing out. Like they don't seem to be doing anything to um, 
just build that relationship back again or build our confidence back in in what the guards have been doing because it's never been like even going back to when the guard the commissioner lost her phone <laughs> it is it has never been root and branch addressed i think so i i just think it's it's terrible i i don't know what can be done about it but what you and tony were saying i wanted to come in earlier about what you were saying about post-pandemic i think about the budget, everything actually in politics needs to be seen in the context of what the public have been through in the pandemic. Because I think that so much has been laid bare, the inequalities in society and everything. People are willing to try to get back to normal and everything. But I'll tell you, there's a pandemic in so much more than just the health service. Like our teenagers back at school, they're in a, like the mental health that that all of that uh, allowance should have been used to help our our kids. And as as Tony said, there's billions left on the table. Yeah, and it's just ridiculous. Like I'm talking to teachers who are saying that management are saying, okay, back to normal, back to normal, pre mocks, mocks, all of that. But our 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds are really shook after the pandemic, after all they have lost in terms of their social, you know, their natural ability. I mean, I remember when I was 14, a disco in the Fianna Tony will keep me on the 1st of July, will keep me going from Easter. <laughs> because of like what, you know, what socially, how you could advance and all of that. And they've they've had to do all of their socialising online. Uh, and my youngest son, when he was going back to school, he said, Mammy, I'm shy. Now, my son is not shy, but he I was just out of, social interaction for so long that and i really think that children in school and, and we help, and, and we've, they're doing pre-mocks now for his yeah. junior cert but alva we've seen we've seen now that the budget has actually reduced the spending yeah. on 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 mental health and i i, I am conscious of time guys because i but i do think it's a really important point it, it makes no sense to leave that money on the table when we could no. take it at at basically zero and, and put it into into some so many different areas that would benefit people's lives um which actually harry if you don't mind i'm gonna have a dig at you has has any other um uh movement ever fallen as flat as quickly as the just transition greens well that's not that's not that's not a dig at me I, I'm no really, no really no involved. i know i know you're not involved <laughs> but but like you are ex-green party i mean you you walked after the last uh after yeah. the yeah I look. I, I mean, I'm. I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna dump on them. I think they're. I think they're. They're doing what they're doing. I think the the scope of what they're doing has probably changed a bit. I think that the. I don't feel like the sort of the cross party stuff has really manifested. But look, um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna knock people for for trying to fight what they believe in. I think the way they're going about it is is probably not effective at this point. But you know, I think they're they're good people. I think they're trying to have some kind of influence on what's happening in government. I think somebody has to try to do that. It wasn't going to be me because I don't think it's going to work. But uh, no, nah, look, I mean, they're, they're good people. They're trying to do the right thing. I think they're going about it the wrong way. Maybe maybe um, that was unfair. Maybe, that, maybe, much, maybe you know? that was unfair of me. But what I mean is when we look at the the, the plans that have come. So so uh, yes, I do think, yeah, I understand why people stay say they have to stay and fight inside, inside government. But you'd like to see a few wins, Harry, and there's just not enough of them in, in, in the actual plan. Uh, that would be my my uh take on it uh, i mean i very much agree that's why I, I mean that's why I'm, I'm here now you know um but look i mean this is this is it and i mean that's not a question unfortunately that's not something that small group of people can resolve that's a question that ultimately the the leader of the leader of the organization has to be held responsible for and he's pretty clear about what he finds to be satisfactory so it's been disappointing but um look i mean if you look at the polls they're actually doing fine so yeah, it seems like they've just become a sort of a little catchment for some unhappy Finnegalers, which as it turns out is about five percent of the population. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can't argue with it. Uh, <laughs> but it's if, disappointing. It's disappointing. Uh, Emma, can I ask um, a question just bluntly on the protocol? What are what what other gives are possible? Like what what are the other asks? What is this ultimate ask? Or is it just if if we if we bent over and, and gave everything, would it's, would they still be dissatisfied at this stage? Yes, uh, short answer. Um, but I think that look, the EU proposals this week um, were actually uh, pretty pretty far reaching. They were significant proposals on how to mitigate some of the concerns around the Northern Ireland Protocol and its operation in terms of um, the Irish Sea border. And I don't know if it can really get that much better. Um, and the fact that the goalposts were shifted so quickly, even before the announcement. By the British government to this, uh, you know, issue around the ECJ, the European Courts of Justice, 
it just demonstrates to you that nothing is going to be good enough. Um, and I think that there does have to be a bit of um, awareness and, um, you know, you have to be really cautious and aware that there might be an other, um, I suppose, motive in terms of what's happening around Northern Ireland. You see a lot of the most ardent Brexiteers making comments about how, you know, the border should be on the island of Ireland. And we in Ireland have to be, you know, aware that this might be what they're trying to actually achieve in terms of bringing in a border uh, on the island of Ireland. And they're just going to play this long game to try and force the EU's hand to be the ones that put it up. I mean, we talked about that five years ago, whenever Brexit, the referendum came through, there was this concern that the British government was playing this game, that they might try and force the EU's hand to put up a border. And I think that that narrative still exists within the British government's objectives and within unionist parties here in the north so we just have to be uh, aware that there's an alternative motive here I, I think we have to mention too that a british mp was killed this week murdered this week and i think we have to mention that immediately after that happened i saw different narratives appearing online and then actually the predominant narrative was that online was the issue social media was the problem but we've seen during the week, too, that that Sally Rooney has had an awful time online. But that wasn't there's nobody saying that this is in the same ballpark. But it's also damaging to her. It's also dangerous to her. I mean, to have that narrative going on, it puts her at risk. Harry, any thoughts on it? Um, look, I, I think there's, there's, a, there's a tendency to to blame online. And I think that the broader point you're making there is there is a tendency to blame um the left in in a different way to the right, but even even the, like, but there's even that's the problem. Like, as soon as somebody dies, it all just you know, it's horrible what happened with with, with the MP with David Ames, and that immediately became political football. Everyone was saying, "Oh, this is because the left are being mean online. This is because you know this group is doing that. This group is saying that." It's 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 psychotic to be honest with you. Um, I think obviously the situation surrounding Sally Rooney is is, is probably non comparable, um, but I do think that there's a general point there that there is a tendency when people talk about nasty social media it does tend to be directed at people on the left we don't really talk about the nastiness that comes from the right we don't really give that the say or not well we do but uh, you know the you know the irish times for example aren't going on saying oh i'm being cancelled by the right on social media it's very much directed in one political direction um and it's very cynical and i think it was really horrible to see that being done when somebody had passed away before anyone had any clue who was yeah. involved or what had happened um but I do think there is a broader point that, yes, it's the, 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 what you can say online, the level of acceptability you can get away with, it does depend on your political leanings to an extent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I uh, well, I think just, One. sorry, just to cut in on that, because I actually, in my day job, I've been doing a lot of work around uh, the issues around um, online abuse. And yeah. um, you know, so, for example, the All Island Women's Forum had a meeting last month on women's political participation, threats to security. And in that, we brought forward the Justice Minister from the North and the Justice Minister from the South to discuss how those, not just politicians, but those operating in political spaces, such as activists uh, as well, and those who work within civil society, are being impacted in terms of threats to their safety and security. So I think that there is a correlation in terms of what's happening in the online space leading into the offline space, because the, the things that you can get away with in terms of on social media empowers those who are being able to say these things and then feel like it's okay to do so and they move into an offline space and it does increase threats to safety. And then there's also just the fact that people are so accessible in these spaces as well. So there's a whole lot of stuff that needs to be done in terms of engaging with stakeholders across a lot of these areas. Um, so for example, when we look at legislation, we discovered that there is a disparity north and south in terms of stocking legislation. So in the north, they're bringing forward standalone stocking legislation to address this as a crime in its own right, because stalking is a pattern behavior. It's not a one-off instance. Whereas in the South, they don't see stalking as a standalone issue or standalone crime. There is no standalone stalking legislation. And instead they actually call it harassment. But you know, there can be a big difference in terms of someone's intent uh, under harassment and stalking. So there is a disparity in the island. There's lots of stuff that needs to be done to address these issues in terms of with the online platforms, 
but also in terms of the political parties and then also in terms of legislation. So just to stake my, my, my position on that, that we have a lot of work to do in terms of addressing this issue. Couldn't I couldn't agree more, but I, and I'd also want to point out that it's this is only like it's not just obviously anonymous accounts on Twitter. It goes on in in across the board. We've seen um in, in within within Finnafall a, a tweet had to be deleted that uh, it was alleging all sorts of abuse that was was found to be untrue. Like and you know we've seen this 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 carry on and it is it's across all parties and none. And I that's but the but the reality. I think I agree with Harry to a large degree that that we do. Particularly, I think some of the left on left uh, um, criticism is, is is some of the heaviest. But but I mean, Ari, I hate to hate to go back to Sally Rooney, but you're 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 a Jewish you're a Jewish man, and it must be ex- exhausting to listen to some of the discourse um, framed in a way that 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 doesn't actually. You know there are um, there are bad faith actors absolutely, but there's also useful idiots been been you know been, been misused and I don't know I thought Lenny Abramson's statement yesterday was fairly balanced and and uh, and 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 on the money in terms of how he how he structured it in terms of you know respect for the for for people's beliefs whether it be in BDS or or, or that but it must be you know unbelievable to see as I said a lot of bad faith actors but also on the other side I would I would argue you some useful idiots yeah i think that's true i haven't seen i haven't seen lenny abramson's statement i will have to look it up but what you know to me what kind of i just find exasperating like the whole thing to be honest he was completely stupid um but what exasperates me is that when this happens regardless of good faith bad faith um what you have is you have a lot of people who come in who aren't jewish who say this is anti-semitic and then you have a lot of people and this is not just this instant but any instant who aren't Jewish who come in and say, no, this absolutely cannot be anti-Semitic, you're wrong. And what you end up then is a load of people who aren't who are not Jewish telling you how to feel, uh, telling you what your experiences are, telling you how you should be interacting with something. Um, and that to me is the is is you know the real issue. It's like, look, yeah, the whole look, the whole thing was silly. It was overblown, it was some nonsense um, that was picked up on, probably not necessarily in bad faith initially, but then blown out of proportion by people who are in bad faith, and then you've got people piling in on bad faith from both directions to just try and prove a point and win an argument. And that's the problem. The whole thing gets boiled down to an argument. Nobody's able to hold their fire. Like, if you're not involved in this, there is absolutely no value. Your tweet is adding nothing to the conversation. I have no issue. Like, if, you, if you're not from the affected group in the same way that if I look at something that somebody from another minority group is saying, oh, I thought that was racist, and I thought that, and say, well, I don't think that's racist, or, oh, actually, that is super racist. You should consider yourself as being discriminated against at this point. And I just like, what, what am I adding to them? What am I? I'm telling them how to feel. And people don't make that connection and people just go and fire it off. And like, I think you've seen that. You've seen there's been, you know, there were people from the Jewish community in Ireland and from abroad who, you know, were able to make the points why they felt this wasn't anti-Semitic. And I think that's fine and that's good. And, you know, that's, that's healthy. But all the people coming in who have no skin in the game, who have no stake, who throw themselves at the forefront. And I actually do think there's a genuine issue in Irish activism in a lot of left-wing circles in that people center themselves rather than the people they're supposed to be advocating for. And I think that you get a lot of talk about how oppressed activists are, as opposed to how oppressed the people they're advocating for are. And I think that um, and that's that's a multi-directional thing. I just said on the uh, left, actually, that's about, I, about the right uh, as well. I, I, I just, I, I take, I find colors I, the discourse a lot I, of the time because I, people I, want to say, I'm not allowed to talk about this or I'm, and that's why people insert themselves into other people's narratives, um, not to support or or boost those voices, but to talk over and argue with people, um, uh, rather than supporting and boosting the voices on their own side. They make their own voice at the centre of it. And I don't think that's sorry. I said to the left, but that's actually not true. That's not fair. Everybody does that, and it's really annoying, and it's counterproductive. And you're talking over people. And yeah, I just think people need to just say, what am I actually adding here as value? Whose voice should I be elevating? Should it be mine? And yeah, too many people, again, on both and I don't mean to do it both sides, but it is, it's universal, genuinely, everybody does this, and it's upsetting and needs to stop and let people let people have their own thoughts about their own experiences and feelings, yeah, basically. I find, I find as the leader of left-wing Irish Twitter that that's kind of aimed at me, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all, not no, at all. Not excellent, at all. <laughs> excellent, excellent point, well made, Harry. Excellent point, well made. Look, we're coming to the end of this, but look, I'm going to remind everybody, we are going live in the Sugar Club, and I cannot wait. We're going to have great guests. Everybody in the tortoise shack is involved. There's me, there's Tony, there's Rory, there's the driver. You know, there are so many people involved in this, and we are going to have a great night. There's a bar. 
And you know, you need a bar for these things. You have a conversation flows better when there's a bar. So that's just to remind you all, you can go on the link, have a look, sign up, get your tickets. But before we finish out, I just want to ask everybody, Emma, what time does your driver wake you? What was that? <laughs> what time does your driver wake you in the morning? Uh, Leo Varadkar was late for an interview during the week. And it was morning, Ireland. Of- and, he, and he literally told him, he said, usually my driver wakes me earlier. So I just wanted to know what time does your driver wake you at during the week? My word, what a luxury it must have to have someone to uh, wake you up in the mornings. Your driver, no, uh, I get my dogs that wake me up every morning. So I've kind of been wondering about the poor driver now for a couple of days. I mean, does he ring the doorbell, then go back to the car, sit in the cold with the heater on, a, a little flask and maybe sip a little bit of tea? Or is he allowed into the kitchen, make himself a cup of coffee, flick on the radio, listening to the... Like, I'm worried about this guy. Annie, Tony, you worried about him? No, no. I've actually... The only thing that's funny about it is that is that yet again when the tarnished made a mistake he found someone else to pin it on that's, <laughs> that's the only thing that he's he's really you know, it's like you know when he was up in cabin at the uh, there's always like this literally always a shortage of buses when leo Radker's around because he's just throwing bodies under them all the time whether it, it you know so that's just it that, shaman do you have a driver he does indeed yeah the Dublin Enquirer, <laughs> the Dublin Enquirer give all their journalists a driver, Martin. Oh, uh, they're trying to be like the Irish Times, are they? <laughs> but the thing is, I was wondering, why would he need, why, why would he need to use an actual person? Why, why, why doesn't he use like an alarm clock or something? It, it's, it's, I, I've all, we've all watched Squid Game. I mean, this is what happens. <laughs> yeah, Alva, we're, we're finishing Squid Game uh, yeah. tonight. Last two episodes, so no spoilers. Alva, as a very successful yeah. author, you, you're no. now in a position to have a driver. My driver doesn't let me sleep, Mark. <laughs> That's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> Look, just once again, to remind everybody about the live show, and we've got to wrap on this now, but if you've any questions, any comments you want to make, we'll come to you after the recording is finished. We'll have a little bit more. Everybody's going to hang on here for a minute or two so that we can answer any questions that are there. And also to remind you that we have a, a ton of stuff coming up during the week, Tony, an absolute ton of stuff coming up during the week. Going, I'm actually going to try and do sports, Martin. Yeah, 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 it's not that we're trying to do sports. We have someone to talk about uh, what's happened with Newcastle and Saudi Arabia, so that should be interesting. Um, so yeah, so we're, we're gonna we're, we're gonna branch out into into sports washing. Um, uh, and actually, I want, Tony's uh, quite sporty. You are quite a sporty guy. He's quite uh, open, but like. I don't really know sports, but he's know. quite good. Listen, um, Shamim, thank you so much for joining us again. Emma, as usual, a pleasure. Alva, great to see you for the first time on, on the thing. And Harry, always a pleasure. And I always, uh, I, 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 you know, we, we will we will continue to call you a margin of error because I think <laughs> I, just, I just want that to stick. Um, if there's no questions other than Oshin, I know you're there, mate, and I, you're, you're over from Scotland, so we might see you during the week um, and we, we'll let everybody get on with their Sunday. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. And we will be back. Um, I think we're back tomorrow. Um, so yeah, plenty coming. Shamim, it's have you something coming out first? Any, any? What's your ne- what's your next article? Uh, it's actually an environmental article because we are kind of we're trying to have something environmental uh, because due to public demand, I suppose. <laughs> Look, it's Dublin Enquirer, guys. Just check it out. And uh, Emma, are you anything coming out this week? Yeah, also on environmental issues. So I'm looking at um, the climate budget and uh, whether or not Ireland really can uh, make it to the 2030 targets. Oh, well, the, the, oh yeah, uh, that's going to be interesting. Uh, we'll, 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 spoiler alert. No. <laughs> 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 Listen, guys, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. Thanks again, folks. And we will talk to you all very soon. See you, see you guys.